everybody. My chance to talk now. There you go. I'm so glad that you're here. I know you were worried you weren't going to hear me say that today. So now we can all take a deep breath. You can relax. You've heard me say you're so where you are. But we are very, very happy that you're here today. Uh, if you haven't been here before, my name is Stephanie Robinson. I'm the Connections Pastor um, here at Momentum Church. Um, pastor Ross is on vacation this week. He's probably watching Facebook Live. So everyone say, hey, Pastor Ross. Pastor Marvin spoke last week, and he set the bar pretty high. Everyone enjoyed Pastor Marvin last week, right? So today, um, said we're going to talk about how we can do more together. I don't mean to insult your intelligence. It's right there. We can do more together uh, is what we're going to be talking about today. And just um, a story that has really been on my heart, an account in the Bible that I am rereading um, in, in Nehemiah. Anybody know Nehemiah? Read it a couple times. Old, yeah, there we go. So Nehemiah, amazing story, but I'm rereading it right now, and I don't know if it's just this phase of life that I'm in or things that have been happening to me uh, recently, but this has been really, um, just been really interesting. I've just been noticing things um, that I don't think I've noticed before. So some of you may know this account in the Bible, um, but we find Nehemiah. And he is serving as the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Um, and when we pick up on his story, he's got a message uh, being delivered to him about the state of the city of Jerusalem. Um, so 100 years prior, the city is, of Jerusalem is torn like to the literal ground. Like it has been left in ruins and the people have been exiled or taken captive. And so the city is just kind of left dessert. And um, in Nehemiah, when we pick up in his story, so again, fast forward 100 years, um, the people who survived exile or who have lived through captivity are back populating the city, but a city that's still left in ruins. Um, And uh, the town where the community is struggling, um, and it seems like the people are facing a crisis, not just a physical crisis of their security, of their safety, but a crisis of faith. And so we've got a couple of things that I want to look at about um, this, this account in Nehemiah um, and what's happening there. And as we talk through this today, um, I, if you attend Momentum Church, we're talking about our community here inside the walls, but we're also talking about our greater community of Woodstock, Cherokee County, this place that God has us, this community that we live and operate in. If you're here and maybe you don't attend this church, maybe you attend somewhere else, maybe you're in town visiting, you're watching on Facebook, wherever you are, um, this still applies to you because you live in a community. So take this back to wherever you are, um, wherever you're operating. And uh, But for us here, so this, is our, um, this is our family, if you our church community. And then again, like I said, our greater Woodstock area. So you're going to hear me refer to that, but again, this is, that's what we mean by community. Everyone following? Yeah? Okay. Good. Um, so again, a couple of things that um, we're looking at is in the city of Jerusalem as we're imagining what it must be like to be living there. Again, people have repopulated the city, but it's just, it's again, left in ruins. Um, so as they've repopulated, this is during, you know, the 5th century BC, you know, we're looking at people who... Um, have either been living in these conditions for so long that they didn't see um, how bad things were, or maybe they've been living in those conditions so long that they just didn't think 
that it was possible for there to ever be change, that this is just the way it is. Um, it's been like this for so long, we can't imagine it ever being anything else. Um, and that's what Nehemiah walks into. Nehemiah walks into a community, um, and he's got to learn how do we rebuild and restore what for so long has been broken. And it has multiple layers. Um, on the surface, Nehemiah, again, is helping us look at this um, idea that we can do more together. Everyone say, we can do more? We can do more. Together. together. We can do more? We can do more. Together. together. And so it looks at the idea that we, that we can do more together, but it's also an indicator of something that's a little more crucial, that it implies that when we do more together, that we have the potential to affect how a generation sees God. Because um, there's a generation of people, if you can imagine, kids, teenagers, um, young, even young adults who are um, populating, sitting in the ancient ruins of Jerusalem, who have probably become disillusioned to this idea of God that their parents and their grandparents talk about. Um, I imagine that they're getting probably pretty tired of hearing stories about how great God was. Because you can think about it, you know, if there's a 13-year-old kid, you know, in this town, they're probably getting a little skeptical every time they go to church. Every time um, they hear stories and they say, well, wait a minute. If Joshua can blow a trumpet and win a battle of Jericho, if Moses can raise a staff and split the Red Sea, if David can take a stone and kill Goliath, then why can't we fix what's broken in our communities? If God is so amazing, if he's so wonderful, if he's given power uh, to all of these people, then why are we living in brokenness? Why isn't God using you, why isn't he using me? Why is he not using us if he's so real? And I'm guessing this generation in this town were starting to feeling like God wasn't with them the way that he was with people in the past, and they started losing respect for the faith that their parents and their leaders once had. And why is that so important? It's because just like in Nehemiah's time, um, we very well could have a generation that's skeptical about church. And, I, and then again, I'm excited to, to dig into this with you a little bit because so many, there are so many lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah's story. And the first is that we have to name what's broken. Nehemiah's story, again, kind of begins with this messenger that comes to him and is just like, Yo, Nehemiah, stuff's real, real bad. Um, he said it kind of nicer. Um, but he comes in and he tells Nehemiah in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Those who survived the exile are back in the providence, or sorry, those who survived the exile are back in the providence, are great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when Nehemiah heard this, his first response was to mourn, to fast, and to pray. Then he was moved to action. And we're going to get to the action part in a minute, but I think that it's really important that we look um, at how Nehemiah spent his time mourning because I think that it's what shows us how we name what's broken. Because if we can't name the brokenness, then God can't use us to fix the brokenness. Because sometimes we need to be able to step back and assess the situation. Right? To recognize, to say out loud what is, what is broken in our communities. 
Um, Nehemiah became very aware, uh, again, in the trouble of what's going on in Jerusalem. Again, their security was threatened, the future of their existence um, that they were living in. He knew what was happening in his community. Um, And I think every once in a while, it's good for us to take a step back and just take a good, honest look at what's happening around us. Um, And I don't think that um, we ever get comfortable on purpose. I don't think that we maliciously um, tune people out. I think we very unmaliciously um, just become uninformed and unaware of what's going on, you know, what's happening to other people because it's not happening to us, you know. And um, I'm going to make a statement that you don't necessarily have to agree with. Um, But I think if our church ignores what's happening in the community, we forfeit our right to have influence in our community. And what I mean by that is we may still have influence amongst, uh, amongst the people that are close to you. You may still have that influence because they know you and they know your heart. Um, but as our internal community grows, and thank God that this internal community has grown so much. I love seeing our family grow. But as it grows and you don't know people, as our outer community grows and people don't know you and know your heart and know your good intentions, as they don't know you then we lose our influence with them because the truth is we don't have influence because we are right. We have influence when people see we care. And Nehemiah, he didn't didn't have influence because he was right about Jerusalem. If you had eyes in the city, you could see there was a problem. You knew there was an issue. Um, And so in our community, in our day and time, as we look around ourselves, you know, if you know Jesus, you have the answer for most people in our community. Jesus has the power to change people's situation in an instant, in a moment over time. You have the answer to their hurts, to their pains, to their brokenness. But just because you are right about that, just because we are right about that, does not mean um, that we will gain influence. We have influence in our communities when their brokenness becomes our brokenness. Does that make sense to anybody? And when we start to respond to them in a way that brings Jesus into that situation. Say, we can do more. Oh, gosh. Say, we can do more. more. Together. Together. Another lesson for us to learn um, from a statement that Nehemiah makes. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. So first of all, Nehemiah is is revealing to us who he was not. He was not a priest. He was not a spiritual leader in Jerusalem. His only job was to keep that Persian king happy. Um, and don't miss this, because for us today, your, um, your responsibility has nothing to do with your profession. Just because you are not Pastor Ross does not mean that you are not responsible for the next generation uh, in, in this house. Just because you are not Pastor Marvin does not mean that you are not responsible for our greater community. We're responsible for engaging a broken world, not because it's in our job description, but because we are God's people. Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, taught us an important lesson about being God's people. With this statement that he makes, that he's the cupbearer, he's also implying that he had privilege that could be leveraged to help people who are hurting. He could use where he was, who he knew, And there are times when what's happening in the world around us um, requires us to leverage what you have. You and I are called to leverage our status, to uh, leverage our influence, our resources, our knowledge, our connections, our finances, whatever we have. 
We are called to leverage that not because we want to be good people, not because we check off the generosity box, but because we are God's people and he calls us to leverage what we have for others. When I read the phrase, cupbearer to the king, it reminds me of a lot of you. I've enjoyed hearing your stories over the year. I've heard people say, I'm a graphic designer, but I lead a small group of girls. That I'm an accountant, but I serve at Forever Fed. That I drive a truck, but I play drums on the worship team. That I'm a CEO, but I clean the building. You know, and I love that this church was filled with people who know that their job is not their only responsibility that the impact that they have Monday, you know, through Friday, wherever you find yourself, office, construction site, home, wherever you are, those are responsibilities and we should fulfill them, but those are not, that's not where our responsibility ends. Say, we can do more more. Together. together. I love that this church is filled with people who are willing to leverage what they have to love kids, teenagers, and our community. When Nehemiah found out was wrong in his hometown, he didn't just leverage what he had. He also risked what he had. It was a risk to take, um, to take his request to the king, which is what he did, his request to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. We, find, uh, we pick up Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. He goes to the king and he, asks, he says to the king, if it... If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, because even in biblical times, you just got to point out who's really making the decisions. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. So Nehemiah just asked for a sabbatical. He asked for a couple months vacation. And I love in verse 7, he then asked to take the company car. Watch what he does. In verse 7, he says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River. Instruct them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me letters addressed to the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house, and, a, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So don't miss this part right here, that he, what he leveraged in his position was risky. It could have been perceived as disrespectful. It could have been perceived to that king as disloyal. But for him, leveraging his privilege and his status to the king, it could have cost him everything, but he did it anyway. He risked all of those things because people are worth it. Because we can't expect to rebuild and restore anything without the potential of it costing us something personally. Let's be honest, we all want preschoolers to get a better start. You know, we all want to rescue kids in foster care in our community. We all want to rid our cities of poverty. You know, they're all things that we want to do. And from Nehemiah, we learn um, that we have to shift from just wanting it to say that we want something and in turn be able to be willing to leverage what we have and then take the risk to be able to rebuild what's broken. Another thing I love about Nehemiah is he doesn't stop there. He leaves, he goes to Jerusalem, and he rode around the walls at night, and he had to examine the situation. 
He's got to get a feel for what's going on, what's happening here. He had to meet in dialogue with the leaders, figure out what's happening in the city before he could actually lead them to do anything. And I think that helps us know that if we want to be the kind of leaders who understand what's really going on, a person who has lasting influence, we have to go see for ourselves. We need to encourage each other to the front lines. You know why? Because proximity changes your perspective. Always, every time. Proximity will always change your perspective. The closer you get, the better you can see. And if more of us get close to the brokenness, the more impact we will have. Say, we can do more together. If enough of us in this room get close enough to what is happening, then we can do something that seems impossible in our community. If we get close to the parents of kids with special needs, if we get close to people of different colors, people who don't share our views, people below the poverty line, people who suffer injustice, if we get close enough, then we have the opportunity to do something about it. If you've attended Momentum for any length of time, you know that we don't measure this church's success by the number of people in this room. Amen? In fact, we measure the success of this church by how many people are willing to show up in the lives of people outside these doors. Whether that's showing up in the lives of this church community or our greater community. So how do we start showing up? What does that look like? It looks like this, making it a priority to show up consistently in the life of the next generation of our community. Because kids will show up in this building on Sunday mornings and some won't. We have to intentionally open our eyes to the people who, are, who walk past us in these halls and the people that walk past us on the streets and find out and name, again, what, that brokenness. Because then our kids, are, our community is full of kids who see brokenness everywhere, in their neighborhoods, in their homes, in their classrooms, and that should compel us to live a life in front of this next generation. You know how we're going to do that. I know you're wondering. We're going to recruit and develop adults who will show up in the lives of the next generation. Because there's a, there's a younger generation, this next one, that's sitting in the wings, waiting and watching, wondering how close we are willing to get. They're watching to see how far the generation before them is willing to go. And they're waiting to make a decision about God as they watch the way that we serve. And if we're not willing to get close, we will lose them. So what's expected? Nehemiah teaches us something about expectation in this story. And the expectation was that everyone in the town was expected to participate. And it seems like there were a lot of people there who um, were probably not qualified to be building a wall. They didn't specialize in construction. Um, But they all worked. They are the ones who rebuilt the community. And I love Nehemiah's visionary speech. He says to the people of Jerusalem in chapter 2, he said, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then the people responded. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. It was an interesting group of volunteers. Um, There were perfume makers, jewelry designers, 
preachers, politicians, merchants, and one particular cupbearer. And they started all working together on construction crews. Say, we can do more together. Together. There are a lot of people doing something they were not experts in. Sometimes you just have to do something you don't know how to do. And it won't take long, I guarantee you, before you've built something you had no idea you're capable of building. Because we can do the unimaginable when we do it together. I love the story of Nehemiah, again, because so many people did just what needed to be done. He didn't show up and go around to everyone and say, Okay, here's um, your spiritual inventory. You just take this, fill it out, pray about it. We're going to have a class on what your best gifts are, and then we're all going to get together and make a plan to rebuild. They didn't do that. They all just started working. There was, no, again, no class to help them decide where they best fit. Nobody said, I'm just going to wait and ask God and let him tell me what I need to do. They didn't pray about whether or not they should do it. They prayed while they were doing it. They didn't wait until they learned how to do it. They learned while they were doing it. Why? Because there was a danger waiting. There was evil that was lurching. And their children were at risk. And God's reputation was at risk with an entire generation. There was too much at stake to wait. Now, I'm sure that there was some guy that was really, really bad at like brick building and construction, and they were like, oh, maybe we'll put you somewhere else. But for the most part, they figured it out as they went. They didn't wait to figure out where they should be. They all just started working together. And, and I love Nehemiah's honesty that he never said it was going to be easy. He rallied them to do something they didn't know how to do. He invited them to do something that seemed impossible. And he challenged them to do something that they could only do if they did it together. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm not going to tell you that what you need to do in this church and in this community is going to be easy. But at the same time, I'm not going to ask you to do anything less. I'm going to ask you to do what is difficult because doing what is difficult changes the trajectory of this community. I heard, or someone told me one time, it's been years ago, and this has always, it's always stayed with me, said that God never called anyone to anything great that he also didn't call to great sacrifice. I think it's always crazy, too, that, like, the thing that we hold on to that we feel is, like, such a great sacrifice, once we're on the other side, it, like, didn't seem like a big, that big of a sacrifice anyway. Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, me too. So I want us all to think about this. Everybody that Nehemiah needed in order to rebuild the town was already there. They didn't go, he didn't like go recruiting. He didn't contract out from different cities. Everyone he needed was there. And the people we need are already here because you're here. And I don't know why some of us in this room, maybe you've stopped dreaming. Maybe you've stopped influencing. Maybe you never even considered that you could be part of what, of what needs to be rebuilt in the lives of people, in the lives of our community. Maybe you've been or even attending for a while and you've never found your place on the wall. Well, today, that changes. Today, you receive an invitation to be part of what we're doing, of doing something together. Maybe you think you're too old. Maybe you think you're too young. Maybe you think your time has passed. We want you to imagine what can happen in the heart 
of a generation if we all start working together. So we can do more together. There's another group that I think um, you know, is important for us to challenge today, and that's the family. Nehemiah rallied families and parents to assume a new level of responsibility. And his challenge to them also is a challenge to us. And this is how Nehemiah describes kind of the scene he's in in chapter 4. He said, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked, over, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Can you imagine with me the emotion of this moment? Like he went super braveheart on us, and he is like, yeah, I amping these people up. And all of these people, all these people who are together in the process of building this wall, everyone knows that the enemy is planning to attack. Everyone is ready to give up. And so Nehemiah organizes them by families. And he posts them in the gaps in the walls. And he says, remember who you're fighting for. And this tells me that the best chance we have of making a difference comes when we engage families. And you may say, I don't have family here at Momentum. I don't have family in this community. And you may be right. You may not have flesh and blood here in this place and here in this area But there are people in this church and in this community who are in desperate, real need of mothers and fathers, of sisters and aunts, brothers and uncles, if we are willing to step out and and find them in that broken place. And you have to excuse me for the emotion of this right now because my sister is here. Everyone say, hey, Stacey. My wonderful sister, she's not usually here, um, but I look around this room, and when I see her especially, I think of the people who have welcomed me into their families, people who's, who they call me daughter or granddaughter, people who call me sister, and I look at that, and I say, man, this family is worth fighting for. This place, this community, it's worth fighting for when I start to look at it like that. Worth fighting for so that Eden sees someone who's living out a real faith so she doesn't have to wonder if God is real or big or powerful enough to rebuild the brokenness in our hearts and in our lives. In the hearts and lives of the people, again, that walk these hallways and that walk in our community. It's worth living in a way that lets them see that God is still real. Nehemiah realized that he was fighting for something bigger than rebuilding a town. Nehemiah was never fighting for the existence of a generation. He was fighting for a generation's concept of God. A generation that was hungry um, for a better version of the church. And I think that that's what we're encountering They're looking for a better version of the church that makes people a priority. And I think that's what made Nehemiah's um, determination just relentless. Um, Because he knew that there's a generation that would decide what they believed about God based on how they rebuilt the city. So together, the people of Jerusalem rebuilt the walls and the gates of the city in 52 days. 52 days. I've been trying to watch the series Gilmore Girls for more than 52 days, and they rebuilt an entire city. 
They did it at the astonishment of their enemies and skeptics. They did it at the amazement, the leaders, and the families as they worked together. But most importantly, they did it at the wonderment of the next generation of kids, teenagers, and young people sitting on the sidelines. Sometimes I think that the people of Jerusalem were expecting God to just do another miracle to fix their brokenness because God had done like a lot of miracles for these people already. And they were expecting him to just show up and do a miracle. But that's not what God did. Instead, God surprised them with themselves because they learned that God's miracle didn't show up in the form of a wall. It showed up in the form of people. And it changed the way that everyone saw God. Check out in this story. There's three things that happen once the walls are rebuilt. One, those outside the walls, like in those skeptics, those enemies, it changed what they believed about God. In chapter 6, verse 6, it says, When all our enemies heard about this, all of the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Number two, those inside the walls were changed, or changed how they listened to God. Chapter 8, verse 3, it tells us that Ezra, who was the priest, opened scripture and it said, He read it out loud from daybreak till noon, and he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, let's be honest, that's a super long church service. Like, really, really long. Like, daybreak to noon. And the interesting, and it's, it's really not the most interesting part of the Bible either. So, but it says that they listened attentively. And what do you think, why do you think that they did that? It's because what they did together changed how they saw God and how they expected to hear from him. And then number three, a generation changed how they worshiped God. In verse 17, it says, From the day of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. It changed how they saw God individually, and it changed how they worshiped corporately. Because you can't be part of a collected miracle and not be bonded together. Because we worship differently when we know each other's stories. When we see the restoration in the lives of of individuals and in our greater community. How we work together can change how a generation sees God. I wanna do this real quick. Um, where are my Momentum Kid volunteers? If you volunteer in any area of Momentum Kid, can you stand up and come down here to the front for me real quick? Yep, real quick. See, these are all the people that are like, I don't wanna be in front of the adults. I just wanna work with the kids. Come on. Um, and can I get some, uh, if you work with the teenagers too, any of our teenagers, actually they're all downstairs working right now. What about my guest services? I have some people who make coffee for us on Sunday morning, greeting team, any of those? Y'all scoot in real close. I need you closer, real close right here. There we go. Katie makes the coffee. Y'all can all take care. Where's Marie? We love the people that make coffee. I want to get this picture real quick. Because this is how the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. It was people who stood shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. And they rebuilt the city. Nehemiah chapter 3. It 
just talking through, and this is a whole, go back and look, this whole chapter just names people who are building the wall. It says, this, uh, it starts with Nehemiah. It says, next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites. Beside him, Habashab, next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen. They were made under Benul, son of Hadad. Next to him, Ezra, son of Jeshar, under Mitzvah. Next to him, Barach the son. Next to him, verse 21. Next to him, verse 22. Next to him, verse 24. There's verses and verses, and it just says, next to him, next to him, next to him. This is how a wall was rebuilt, because they did more together. Will you join us in helping a next generation see God? Will you join us in engaging kids and students in our church? Will you join us in supporting families, our church, family, and will you commit to seeing the brokenness in our community and not stopping until the spiritual walls are rebuilt? Now this morning looks a little different to me. I really like the here's three points, take them, the practical, apply them to your life. As a, again, different for all of us this morning, but I, I want us to let this set heavy in our hearts. I want us to all have this one real clear picture that we can do more together. I want it to be, again, just one point of action. And we want to make it easy for you this morning. If you say, you know, I want, I want to be that. I want to find my place on my wall. I don't know what's kept me before, whether it's convenience or I just need to know where to start. We're going to make it real easy. Text TOGETHER to this number that's going to come up here on the screen. And that's going to send you a link where you can find out where your place is on this wall. Because there is a rebuilding that has to happen. Again, in the hearts of kids, students, in our community. And everyone say, we can do more. Real loud together. Right, let's pray. You guys can make your way back to your seats. God, I thank you so much. God, these people that stood across the front of this room, I thank you for what they're doing in the lives of kids. Can I thank you for the symbol they were to stand before us today about how shoulder, shoulder together, just like Nehemiah, we can name the brokenness, leverage what we have, and we can make a difference together. We can change the way that we see you, and we can change the way the next generation sees a God who is real. And it can change the way that we see each other. God, I pray for my friends. I pray that as this, again, this sets heavy on our hearts today and through this week, God, you would begin to stir us to what you're calling us to do. Even if we don't know exactly what it is, we don't know exactly what's right, God, let us be willing to take that step, to do something we don't know exactly what we're doing. God, and trusting that you are going to use us in a mighty, mighty way. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing through us. And we look forward to what you're going to build with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.